favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could all join us because today we're going to be talking about a topic that unites in the entire world. <laughs> so much, uh, you know, the time when we look at the news and we turn on the TV, we see issues that divide us, whether it's politics or violence or what have you. But today we're going to be talking about a topic that unites us, and that is food. We all eat. We all uh, want all of our fellow human beings to never ever go hungry and so uh, there's a lot of issues and a lot of complexities that go along with the food production that sometimes we take for granted especially here in the US. Today we're going to be talking about some of the environmental impacts of not just how our food is um produced but also some of the impacts when we waste food and so um, we're going to be talking to two guests today our first guest is the director for food and agriculture for the Nash, uh, natural resources defense council also known as the nrdc and his name is jonathan kaplan jonathan welcome jill thank you it's so good to have you on, and I'm really glad that uh, you were able to make it today. I want to begin um, by talking about um, how our, our modern agricultural system impacts the environment. I think a lot of people don't realize how much fuel and water, even finite materials, are used to grow the food we eat. So help us understand that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a good question. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, we, we're able to go to a grocery store and we have an abundant food supply to choose from. And a lot of us don't think about where all that food comes from and the, the implications of uh, having so much great food at hand. It turns out that in the United States, a lot of our natural resources and land and energy go into growing and producing that food. Uh, some of the statistics are, I think, pretty pretty impressive. For example, 80% of all the fresh water use in California and uh, more than two-thirds in you know the country goes to agriculture. So that's a lot of our fresh water. Um, more than half of all of our land use about 10% of our entire um, energy budget goes into bringing food to our tables here in the United States. Wow. And, of course, there are a lot of environmental impacts from all of this food production. Uh, agriculture uses you know, hundreds of millions of pounds of toxic pesticides and is a leading cause of water 
quality problems, pollution to our nation's rivers and streams throughout the country. And it's a significant source of greenhouse gas emissions. So uh, all this is very relevant to the issue of food waste because when we lose the food that we've grown using all of these resources and contributing all these environmental impacts, when that food is thrown away, we've essentially uh, wasted those resources as well. Well, and a lot of us are trying to you know, try to lead and try to live green lives and trying to align a variety of our uh, components of our lifestyle with our green values. And sometimes we forget that what's in our refrigerator and what's on our plate is a part of that lifestyle and not just in terms of eating organic but actually how we handle the food and knowing where it comes from and what have you. And we're trying to teach our kids that too. Um, so help us understand more about this food waste issue. I know that you guys have a very interesting new food facts sheet uh, that gives some great statistics on the amount of food we waste in America and I'd love for you to go over some of those findings with us. Yeah, sure, I can do that. And um, you know, I'll just say I am a dad myself. I've got two kids, 9 and 11. So I have had every imaginable food waste conversation at the dinner table at my house. <laughs> and you know, we have had some very arcane philosophical discussions about this and, and debates, most of which I've lost. But <laughs> maybe I can do better with your listeners. Um, we... Uh, have this, you know, we, we've done quite a bit of research in this area and have, you know, have some materials on our website at nrdc.org slash food. You can find our fact sheet. Uh, it turns out that about 40% of all the food uh, in the United States goes uneaten. Um, so, uh, you know, between a, it's between a third and half of all the food produced is lost, and it's hard to get an exact number. There's some different estimates kicking around. So that food, again, is produced with all of this water, energy, land, and sort of slips through our system. And it's, it's lost at every link in the supply chain, starting at the farm level, um, moving down to the shipper, producer, the packer, the processor, the retailer, and, of course, the consumer. And, you know, the consumer um, is a very significant part of this story. I think about a fifth of all the food that's lost is lost, um, you know, by families like mine and lots of others where we have, you know, more food in our refrigerator than we can cook or than we eat in time. Um, we throw away uh, food that gets put on the table and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, and and talk to us about the the environmental impact of that food waste. I mean, can we translate that amount of food waste into things like, you know, the natural resources that are lost, like how much water, how much oil, etc. Are we basically just either throwing into the trash or maybe composting or running down the garbage disposal? What is that costing us in terms of natural resources? Yeah, if you go back to those statistics that I ran through, you know, a few minutes ago, and you just apply the percent of food that we've lost to those numbers, that, you know, the, the resource loss is quite large. So, for again, here's the math. Uh, it turns out that about 25% of all the fresh water consumed in this country is used to grow food that we throw away. So we are essentially throwing away 
you know, one-fourth of the nation's uh, rivers and streams. You know, we're, we're throwing away a, a large portion of the ever-scarce, ever-precious freshwater resources that we use in this country. Um, energy. It turns out that the amount of energy that goes into the food that we throw away is equal to about 4% of all the oil consumed in this country. Uh, wow. That's a lot. It's, 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 it's more energy than is contained in all the ethanol we produced in 2011. Holy it's a cow. lot of energy. Well, and some people think, why is that a big deal? Every time I turn on the tap, there's plenty of water. Uh, when I want to turn on the lights, they go on. Uh, don't we have plenty of those things to waste? Well, unfortunately, we don't. Um, the, you know, the planet is facing ever-scarce water resources. That's true in almost every country. It's very true if you live in the, in the Pacific uh, Northwest or Southwest. If you're a farmer in California, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, you, you might have been plowing your crop in because you couldn't get enough water to grow it. Mm-hmm. So these are very serious, uh, you know, ecological challenges that we're up against, and they're only going to get worse because mm-hmm. we have a growing population. The, the planet is currently expected to hit, um, you know, 9 billion by 2050. So that means we're going to have to produce a lot more food, and we are already pushing the limits of our natural system just to feed the people that we've already got on the planet today. Mm-hmm. And there are unacceptable environmental impacts uh, you know, from agriculture that we have not dealt with at our current level of production. So, uh, and then on top of all of that, you've got climate change, which is going to disrupt food systems, it's going to make it harder to grow uh, the same crops that we're growing now in the same places, and it, it's going to complicate you know, water storage as uh, snowpacks melt earlier, and you know, there's going to be all kinds of complications and problems resulting just from that. So, you know, this is a bit of a gloomy conversation, but our, you know, we are currently not feeding everybody today, yet we're going to have to feed more people in the future. So one of the, you know, one of the bright spots in that whole story is that we are currently throwing away all this food that could be saved, that mm-hmm. could be, um, you know, diverted back uh, to feeding people. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, even in America... Uh, you know, we know even the, some of the findings of, of the problems with childhood obesity and things that are going on, you know, with, with children's health related to food and eating habits. Even in children who are obese, sometimes they're malnourished because what they're eating isn't uh, as nutrient-rich as, as it could be. So there's a lot of issues um, to deal with. This is a much more complicated system than a lot of folks think. I think last summer... This issue of, of, you know, the, the water that it takes to produce food really came home to roost for me when I was reading reports. You know, we had the terrible drought in Texas last year. And besides the fact that there were wildfires and a lot of crops lost, I saw several articles where, uh, 
you know, there were farmers in Texas protesting the zoning of a new coal energy plant, coal power plant. And it wasn't because of necessarily the emissions and all the usual reasons that people protest a new coal plant going on in their backyard. It was because they didn't want to compete with the clean water that the coal plant would need in order to create electricity because they needed that scarce clean water for their crops. And so, you know, for anyone who thinks that well, we're a, we're a blue planet and we've got plenty of water. Not all of that water is usable and we're beginning to get into a situation where even in a place like Texas, you know, very, uh, you know, large, successful state in so many regards where there's competition for water between uh, food producers and energy producers. And a lot of people don't realize the connection, you know? Yeah, we are, you know, the climate change has gotten a lot of airtime over the last several years, but we are also up against, you know, finite limits on fresh water availability. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, we're bumping into that all across the country. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot on Go Green Radio and uh, just not always in the context of food. Now, when we send food waste, if we don't compost it, if it's not separated from household waste, it could end up in landfills, and that's where a lot of wasted food goes. How is that scenario harmful to the environment? What's the environmental impact of, of wasted food going into landfills? Yeah, well, let's talk about composting for a sec. You know, we, we understand that less than 3% of all the food that's lost actually gets composted. So we're, we're not composting um, very much of the food that we're losing most of it is going to landfills. And when it goes into a landfill, it gradually converts to methane, which is a greenhouse gas, of course. Uh, it's 20 times more, um, has 20 times more global warming potential than carbon dioxide and comprises a large percentage, I think it's a quarter of, of the U.S. total methane emissions, which is a serious impact to our atmosphere and to planetary warming. But... Um, composting, you know, we, we're, we're careful not to say that, you know, if we just composted all this food waste, we would have solved the problem. Composting is an excellent strategy for food that can't be eaten, you know, if it's actually rotten. But better, more important, would be to prevent that food from reaching a point where composting is the only alternative. Mm-hmm. Because you know, while throwing away our, our rivers and all these other natural resources is a bad thing, composting it is not the greatest solution either, right? We don't want to be composting our, ri- our rivers and our oil and our, um, you know, land use potential and so on. We do want to compost food that's lost, but better would be to divert it back to people and uh, provide more meals. Well, and or compost the things that, you know, that I do, like if I'm not going to eat the green pieces on top of the carrots, that gets composted or, you know, the potato peels, if you aren't into eating those, compost that or the, you know, the butt end of the celery stock. That's great compost, (laughs) you know, and try not to waste. Exactly. We're we're certainly not saying that zero waste is, you know, an attainable goal. I think Um, there are going to be. You know, there's, there are banana peels out there in our food system that, uh, you know, we're not expecting anybody to eat anytime soon. 
Yep. Stuff happens, right? Well, we're going to talk about some, some tips and strategies in our next segment about how you can reduce food waste in your own house and maybe encourage your friends and neighbors to do the same. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to change your relationships, your business, your body, and your life? You'll want to tune in to Transformation Talk Radio with host Tony Litster. It's an inspiring hour of conversation, special guests, and wisdom that has made Tony an expert with personal life experience. His down-to-earth style will give you the keys to unlock your greatest potential. Listen for Transformation Talk Radio live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listening can truly change your life. Come back to your senses. Imagine a radio show that will help you recover your common sense. Host Leah Brenda Smith is a health and wellness specialist who will explain techniques designed to help you recover from the stress of your life. It's all about how you respond to your thoughts. A little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in helping you to relax and enjoy your life. Tune in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio, live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Our topic today is food. For all you foodies out there, we're going to be talking about how to align your green values with your eating habits, your buying habits when it comes to food. Our guest in this segment is Jonathan Kaplan. He's the Director of Food and Agriculture for the Natural Resources Defense Council, also known as the NRDC. You know, Jonathan, food production is a lot like energy production, um, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that if we conserve energy and use energy as efficiently as possible, we can count uh, cut down on the amount of energy that has to be produced and maybe even eliminate the need to build more power plants. We all know that is good for the environment, good for human health, but I'd like for you to talk to us about how we can be more food efficient and reduce the environmental impact of having to produce more food than we need to. 
discuss some of those helpful tips that you and the NRDC have created on the, the food fact sheet. Sure. You know, one of the uh, great parts of this story is that we can all do something about it. You know, we talk about a lot of really hard issues here at NRDC that are going to require difficult long-term solutions and, and galvanizing policymakers at the highest levels to make tough choices. But this is a problem that uh, can be solved, you know, today on the ground in our kitchens and, and in our businesses. And we're, we're finding that um, a lot of the businesses that we talk to get it when we say, hey, you are actually losing money because you're losing product. And that is triggering, um, you know, efficiency audits, just like we've been doing energy efficiency audits in this country for the last five or ten years. Uh, we're now starting to see companies interested in doing food efficiency audits. But really? you can do one right in your own kitchen. Um, when you uh, go shopping, you assume often that you have to, you know, look at that sell-by date or use-by date and you know, throw out all the foods in your refrigerator that have exceeded that date. But that might not actually be the case. It turns out that those use-by and sell-by dates are not federally regulated. They're really more um, suggested dates by uh, food marketers, you know, by, by the companies selling this food. And I think, uh, you know, you can use your own judgment about when foods are, you know, spoiled and, and need to be tossed or when they're still edible. Mm-hmm. Another thing you can do is freeze uh, ingredients or, or foods for eating at a, a later date. You can buy funny-looking foods in your stores and <laughs> signal that, you know, we're not all going to be slaves to the perfect-looking apple or strawberry. A lot of food is lost in the system for cosmetic reasons. Consumers are believed, you know, not uh, to be willing to buy food that doesn't look perfect, even if it tastes perfectly good and is perfectly nutritious. So um, using your shopping dollar to buy um, funny food, I think, can help push back against those assumptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Families can serve smaller portions and save leftovers. You know, we have this fight all the time in my house where, um, you know, we have this idea of what we think the kids should eat, but it's not always realistic. And, you know, you find out pretty fast that actually they have a very different opinion about what they're going to eat. And usually uh, their opinion ends up mattering quite a bit in the outcome of that discussion. And finally, you know, raise this issue. I think we all, you know, we live in a society where we spend a relatively small part of our income on food. It's relatively cheap. In a lot of other countries, people spend a lot more of their money on food. And here, it's easier for us to be a little bit careless and and let it go. So really kind of waking up and realizing uh, that we're doing this is, is an important part of this process. You know, it's funny, we're we're very price conscious when we're in the grocery store. We look at chicken and, uh, you know, we might buy the one that costs uh, 20% less. But then we'll go home and we throw that same chicken away and don't think twice about it. If we had bought, you know, half as much at the store and then actually consumed it all instead of throwing part of it away, we would be spending less. But we're just not used to thinking that way. Yeah, by the time we get it home, it's a it's a sunken cost, 
uh, right. and, and we forget about it. No, it's really true. I mean, that's actually the way that I've been able to, you know, switch over to a lot more organics. You know, with our family budget, I try to keep our, our weekly grocery bill at the same amount by buying sometimes slightly more expensive organic meat or organic produce and I just buy less and it, nobody's going hungry. We're just eating it all and planning it out. That was one of the tips that I really liked on your fact sheet is, you know, take a few minutes, you know, before you go grocery shopping, sit down, plan out those meals so you know exactly what ingredients you need for for each you know meal that you're preparing and nothing more you know instead of going up and down meandering up and down the aisle saying well this sounds good well this sounds good yeah have a plan and stick to it and that That's really right. does help and here's a statistic that really shocks me uh, for an average family of four in the United States that household on average wastes an estimated thirteen hundred to twenty two hundred dollars per year. In That's a vacation. That, you can go on vacation for that's that no amount money. of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. If you can, if you can put it in those terms, oftentimes people say, "Wow, uh, I could think of a lot of other things I'd like to do with that money around the house besides, um, you know, wasted on food that goes in into the garbage." Besides the fact that that, you know, isn't the kind of value that I want to teach my children. It's not a value at all. It's costing me money. So I think that's a great way to look at it as well. And- and guess what? If you can take a bite out of that $2,000 loss, you're helping the environment in a really important way. You're helping the environment. You're helping your family bottom line. It's great. We've, you know, we've covered some tips to help people waste less food at home, but how can we be part of the solution for the restaurant industry? How do we help eliminate food waste when we dine out? You know, really, it's sort of the same set of strategies. Um, take your leftovers home. There's no shame in asking for a to-go box and eating it at home. Um, we started doing it, and it actually helps us avoid, like, cooking a meal once in a while when you've got, um, you know, enough food in the fridge to be able to do that. You yep. can also ask for smaller portions if that's what you want. Um, a lot of restaurants offer half portions at lower prices, even if they're not on the menu. So feel free to ask. Let your waiter know um, that you don't need a huge amount of food that you're not likely to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can ask to hold side orders that you don't plan to eat. And, again, you know, wake up your restaurant. Ask your waiter what they're doing to reduce food waste in the kitchen and uh, in their menu. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of communities are beginning to offer some composting options for restaurants, even for homes. Where I live um, in Northern California, we have a household composting program, and they're extending that to restaurants as well. Um, It's just a matter of whether or not people will, you know, get involved with that. And again, it's not so you can you know, waste food, but so that the things that you don't eat, the parts right. of the food that, that you wouldn't eat, can be composted. And, and sometimes it just takes the community beginning to ask for that or suggesting that to restaurants before they end up doing it. You, you know, right. you've got a great portion of the website. I mean, the NRDC website, um, again, folks, you can find that at nrdc.org. But um, the Jonathan section, Food and Agriculture, has a lot of great information on it that's very um, consumer-friendly. I'd love for you to just kind of give us an overview of what our listeners could expect to find by visiting your portion of the website. Right. Well, you can go right there at nrdc.org slash 
food, and you can read about some of the work that we're doing on a variety of different food and agriculture-related issues. NRDC works on pesticides. We're trying to wean our livestock industry from its addiction to antibiotics. Uh, We're working on getting toxic contaminants out of our food supply. And we also put out a number of very, um, I'd say, information-packed fact sheets about what consumers can do to make a difference with their shopping dollar, with their um, cooking practices at home. So if you go to nrdc.org slash food, you'll find a number of fact sheets on food waste, on uh, safe food packaging, on food choices that you can make to reduce your, uh, your environmental footprint at home. You know, one thing that we haven't talked about today is meat consumption and, uh, and of course, wasting the meat and dairy products that you buy is also a big part of this story and is particularly important because the environmental impacts from meat production are typically much greater than grains and, and vegetables and, and plant-based foods. So actually, uh, in addition to reducing the wasting of those types of foods, reducing the number of meat meals you eat um, is also a great way to reduce your environmental footprint. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that a few times on Go Green Radio, and I myself uh, have instituted Meatless Mondays in my household. Uh, that's a great little organization, little movement to join if you want to give it a try. They're always sending out uh, recipes that you can try for Meatless Mondays. But um, I, I think that that's, that's an important point because the the animal production and meat production and, as you mentioned, dairy products um, and what it takes to – uh, to manage those systems has a tremendous environmental impact. And maybe we'll have you on just to talk about that sometime, Jonathan, because um, it bears repeating. Um, we don't always just do one show on Go Green Radio about an issue like that and forget about it. Um, I would like to talk more with you on that. Um, one of the things that you have that I appreciated because, you know, I've lived in California a long time, but I know that I have a lot of neighbors who, because of different jobs, have moved around to different states, and we don't always know what's in season. You know, and that's a big part of sustainable food purchasing is purchasing things that are in season instead of uh, being able to purchase things that are shipped for thousands of miles to get to us because we want strawberries all year round or what have you. And you have a tool on your website that can help consumers buy local but also buy produce that's in season, and I think that's that's pretty great. Jonathan, thanks so much for being on Go Green Radio with us. I'm glad that you could join us. Thanks, Jill. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have Andrea Northup. She actually won an NRDC Green Award this year. She's got a really cool program that brings some of the things that we're talking about with Jonathan, all these green food values into schools to help teach kids these values and teach them how to be a part of a sustainable food system. So don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even co-worker. 
You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. Our guest during this segment is Andrea Northup. She is the founder and director of the DC Farm to School Network, and she actually won a 2012 Growing Green Award from the Natural Resources Defense Council. She was the winner in the Young Food Leader category, and uh, we are pleased as punch to have her on. Andrea, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thank you so much. And Andrea is out in the field, folks. I mean, Go Green Radio doesn't get any more authentic than this. She is out in the field, out on a farm, doing her thing. So if you hear some birds chirping, that's not piped in. That's for real. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Andrea, congratulations on your recent award from the NRDC, the 2012 Growing Green Award. You were the winner, like we said, of the Young Food Leader category. And before we talk about your organization, I would love for you to tell our listeners about that award program and what it was like to win. Sure, thanks. Um, it was it was a, a national search for some entrepreneurs and leaders in the areas of, of sustainability and local food systems um, that NRDC recognized um, a couple of months ago out in San Francisco just to elevate some of the innovative work that's going on on the local level um, across the country. So it was truly an honor to win. And believe me, folks here in D.C. that I work with were just so excited to, to have their stories represented on a national level. Fantastic. And and let's talk about that story. Let's talk about your D.C. Farm to School Network. I want to begin by congratulating you on the composition of your advisory board. I was out on your website, and I'm going to give everybody uh, Andrea's website because if you want to follow along with us, you can open a new tab in your web browser and go to D.C. That's like District of Columbia because that's where she's at, D.C. FarmToSchool.org, and that's not the number two, it's T-O, DCFarmToSchool.org. I think it's fantastic 
that on your advisory board you've included a parent and a teacher. Um, because I think that's where a lot of programs that want to get into schools uh, completely fall on their face. They don't include those stakeholder groups in the discussion, and they're so critical. So I want to congratulate you on doing that. Talk to us about your organizational structure and how it benefits your mission. Thank you. Yeah, the the thing about farm-to-school efforts that bring local foods into school meals um, and teach kids about where they come from is that there are so many stakeholders involved ranging from parents and teachers to food service professionals, cafeteria staff, farmers, distributors, processors, you know, the list goes on and on. And um, as such, the D.C. Farm to School Network aims to connect those many stakeholders and help them solve problems around getting more local food in schools. And so um, our organizational structure is such that I am sort of a connector, um, I play the role of um, translator, um, you know, convener of people and um, sharer of information mm-hmm. to um, to facilitate these connections. Um, and so the, the way the network is structured is that we do have an advisory board that helps me assess what, ne- what the needs are in the community. And then I do my best... Um, as the network's director, to provide folks with the, the tools, resources, and um, networking opportunities that they need to to move forward with farm-to-school efforts. Um, additionally, we do some citywide events. We do some advocacy work um, with, with city leaders and stakeholders, um, and we do some direct educational programs um, to get kids excited about eating local food. That's fantastic. I- I'd love to know, Andrea, what is a typical work week like for you? I mean, I can hear you out in the field. I hear the birds chirping, which I just love. <laughs> uh, we may we may just start trying to, to do that more and more. Maybe I'll sit outside while I'm doing Go Green Radio. I love that. Um, do you get to spend a lot of time with the kids, or, or what is your work week like? Well, you know, because there are so many stakeholders involved in farm to school, um, I have to provide, you know, I have to meet a lot of needs, and that requires me being out in the field in a lot of different places. Um, in a given week, I may spend time in the school cafeteria, in a school, um, you know, out on the farm working with kids, um, you know, doing taste tests in a classroom, uh, direct educational programs like that, or I may visit... Um, Somewhere like the D.C. City Council, where I'll be talking with um, council members and representatives um, to help design policies that um, that influence uh, what kids eat in school. Mm-hmm. Um, it also depends on the season. So we only have a short window when the growing season here in D.C. matches up with the school year, and that's um, a very intense time where we're working with kids outside, working with a lot of farmers, and getting a lot of stuff done, whereas in the off-season, I'm doing more planning, training, um, and coordinating. Gotcha. That's exciting. I mean, you've got a job that's both administrative but also hands-on, and, and that's got to be very fulfilling. Um, I'm very lucky. <laughs> We probably have a lot of listeners who are thinking, what a cool program. I'd love to replicate something like that in my own community. Tell us how you got all of these stakeholder groups in the school community to support your organization and allow you to work on campus. Because 
that's not easy. So how kind of walk us through um, the formation of your organization and how you were able to accomplish that, because I think that's going to be incredibly useful information for our listeners. Well, truthfully, um, I did a lot of listening. So um, when I first um, got down to D.C., I was sure to um, talk to anyone who would listen um, about how they were involved in the school food process and what their needs were. So, so you know, what what needed to change in order for them to get more healthy, locally grown foods into D.C. school meals. Um, and, you know, after doing a lot of listening and a lot of um, talking with folks, I began to get gain their trust and I began to um, really get a feel for where the key connections were that needed to be made and where the key um, changes to public policy and educational programming needed to happen. So if I were to suggest to anyone uh, who's interested in this type of work how to get started, I would say begin learning what the needs are in your school food community. Do a lot of listening because they have a lot of problems um, that they that people don't necessarily take the time to listen to. And so um, you'll be sure to gain their trust if you listen to those problems and um, begin to address their needs before presenting your own agenda. Well, and do you find that, uh, you know, a good entry point is with the food service folks or, or is it, you know, elected officials like school board members? You know, that's, it's unique to each school district or jurisdiction where the key pressure points are. And that's something that um, in talking with um, your school food community, you will find. So Mm -hmm. you might have a key advocate that's a teacher in school or a key advocate that's actually a grower near the school or or an advocate who is, um, like you said, a member of the school board or a parent. It really depends on each situation. you know, perhaps it's a cafeteria staff worker who's just really, really passionate about these issues. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Uh, you know, and, and it will. It will vary from place to place and from school to school. Talk right. to us about the, the benefits that the kids are receiving from the D.C. Farm to School um, program or network. I'm sorry. Um, what are What's in it for them? I mean, what are they getting out of this? Well, I think farm to school programs have a triple bottom line in the sense that they benefit child health. So when kids are excited about eating farm fresh foods, they're arguably much more healthy foods and therefore, um, you know, farm to school programs combat child obesity, um, which is, as many folks know, is, is probably the most pressing chronic illness of, of our generation's time. And so, you know, I think in, in, the way that farm-to-school programs help kids reconnect with their source of food and help them remember what real food is and excite them about real food, um, it's, it's getting kids excited to eat healthier food, and that's, um, that's, that's the biggest benefit to the program. I think, in addition, um, you know, Learning about um, the environment and, and the um, economic benefits of farm to school is also beneficial to kids. You know, when you see the light bulbs 
go on in their head that, you know, broccoli grows on a plant that a nearby farmer actually tended to for them. And when you start getting into the food system aspect of farm-to-school programs, I think kids benefit as well. So, um, you know, not only does farm-to-school benefit child health, it benefits the local food economy and the environment, and, and that's an important message for kids as well. When you take them out on the farm, what kinds of things are they are they doing? I'm imagining, you know, D.C. is a metropolitan area, so it's probably unlikely that a lot of the kids get to spend much time on a farm. Um, so what is it that you want them to glean from that experience when they get to go out in the field? Well, we design our farm field trips to get kids excited about eating healthy local food. And so working backwards from that goal, um, we've designed a, a slew of hands-on activities to, to do just that. Um, I'm sitting in the car here actually with our farm education manager who's phenomenal and spends a lot of her time looking across the country and in her own experience um, at what what activities help kids connect with their source of food the most and and then in effect um, get kids excited to eat that food. So we have a series of stations where kids are um, learning about chickens and petting chickens and learning about how chicken our chickens may be different from um, the chickens that they're eating at McDonald's and they have, we have a station where they harvest and taste different types of foods from the farm. Um, we have a station where they learn about edible plant parts and which parts of the plant um, are, uh, come from. And, um, you know, kids after they're done with a day on the farm literally tell us incredible things like, I want to marry this farm, or <laughs> I never want to leave here. This is just totally amazing, and we we give them a great experience being out in nature, and we give them a really hands-on um, feel for how food can be sustainably grown, how it can taste delicious, and how it's it's a fun it's fun um it's a fun concept. Great. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. I would love to join you on one of those field trips one of these days. Uh, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll have more with Andrea and more about her D.C. Farm to School Network, and we'll be talking about how schools can actually make this work from a budgetary standpoint. This will be the Jerry Maguire portion of our show, the Show Me the Money. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Racism. Healing. Oneness of humankind. It is time to join millions of people all over the world who openly talk about racial healing. Some of us are not sure how to tread when discussing race and culture. Until now, tune in to A Safe Place to Talk About Race with host Sharon E. Davis. 
engage with experts and notables. Have a question but are not sure how to ask it? Test it out with our show. It's a safe harbor to explore views and situations that we face every day. A Safe Place to Talk About Race airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just joining us, our guest right now is Andrea Northup. She is the founder and director of the DC Farm to School Network. And we've been talking with her about some of the things that she's been doing to bring community stakeholders together in the DC area, uh, both in the school community, but also in the agriculture and growing community. And it's all to benefit children and their health and their, their food awareness, food education on what's healthy for them, what's sustainable and environmentally responsible. But you know, this is where we get to the point where, you know, sometimes we talk to people with great programs for schools, but they end up being costly. And the fact is, most schools are experiencing some of the toughest budget cuts in a generation. And I'm sure that as some of our listeners are listening to your explanation of the DC Farm to School Network, Andrea, they're thinking, okay, Locally grown food is great. Fresh food sounds great for kids, but quite honestly, that might cost us more than the processed food that we're currently feeding them. What have your client schools done to overcome these budget concerns? Well, um, excitingly here in D.C., we got a law passed, um, a local law called the Healthy Schools Act, which provides schools with an extra um, financial incentive to serve locally grown foods in school meals. And so schools actually get an extra $0.05 cents per meal um, if that meal includes um, a locally grown, unprocessed, of fresh uh, food. And when you think about the fact that a school has about a dollar or so per meal to spend on food, an extra $0.05 cents can go a long way. And we've seen across the board that schools are responding to that incentive and are doing all they can to finagle their menus to include a local component. And that may mean, uh, like you mentioned, doing a meatless Monday, or that may mean, um, you know, serving cheaper options or, you know, finding ways to find cost savings um, in, in the meals and other ways 
uh, in order to afford the local food, but they're they're getting a financial incentive in D.C., which is which is huge. Um, additionally, the federal government just passed some heightened nutrition standards for school meals in what's called the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, and that will provide another six cents per meal to help schools um, serve healthy options. But truthfully, budgets are still very tight, and even with those um, financial incentives and heightened reimbursements, it's still very difficult for schools to scrape together a high-quality, healthy uh, meal for kids. And so there just has to be a lot of flexibility, a lot of problem-solving that goes on on the individual school level to get that entire process from seed to tray to be affordable. You know, you have to think at the in, uh, along the entire food chain, starting from when a grower puts a seed in the ground to what the inputs are, you know, what the agricultural inputs are, how it's transported, how it's stored and processed and shipped to the school and handled at the school, and then finally how it's, you know, incorporated into the meal and put it on the tray. There are so many points along that food chain to find cost savings and find efficiencies that schools need to take advantage of if they want to make it work for local food. Well, and all that's true. I mean, one of the things that I know that a lot of local school boards are always complaining about is federal mandates that aren't funded. So as long as there is money in the budget, you know, the federal budget to give to, to subsidize some of those things, that's great. But as we all know, uh, those subsidies can go away. It seems like, I mean, again, and this is kind of a supply and demand sort of situation that for local growers, if they knew that they had a consistent market uh, in their local schools to sell a certain volume, uh, that they might be able to give some price incentives for that kind of a consistent volume buy uh, that they knew that their, you know, their food was going to be, it wasn't going to be wasted and they were going to be able to, to get it there and get it to the market uh, with minimal transportation. It seems like that would be a great you know, incentive for local food growers to maybe give a, a little bit of a break as well to the schools. I don't know if that's possible. Um, have you seen yeah. anything like that? Well, um, we are seeing um, some innovative schools across the country are working with their produce contracts to um, set out specific uh, specifications for local products for the year or for a season. Um, for example, I know St. Paul, uh, Minnesota has done some innovative work around having a local, um, having a fresh produce contract that they put out for growers to bid on for seasonal products um, during certain times of the year. And so in that sense, they're able to not only give growers up front the amount of product and the, the specifications for the products that they need, but they can also get the best price from growers in the area who are willing to meet their specifications. We haven't been able to do that here in D.C. yet, um, but that's definitely something that um, that is happening and is very exciting and I think has a lot of promise for bringing more growers on board, you know, to have that steady, you know, maybe among a grower's um, menu of uh, profit, you know, revenue-generating Options have a school 
be one of those, you know, in addition mm-hmm. to, say, a farmer's market or a CSA or, or something else. Right. Well, and I mean, the truth is, that's so old-fashioned, and yet it's coming back into fashion. That's how schools used to get their food to begin with. I mean, and that's how a lot of communities worked out their food supply as well. It wasn't so, you know, huge, global, and industrialized. It was working with your local farmers to meet the local needs. And so maybe we're, we're relearning the wisdom of, of our forefathers and foremothers in this regard. What, Go ahead. Um, you know, the USDA has set some um, some requirements around what you can um, require uh, you have contracts with to provide. So there's what's called a geographic preference rule that schools mm-hmm. um, have to abide by requesting local food. So just recently, uh, with the new administration and with USDA schools are more, more flexible to request local products. Before, um, you know, years ago, that was a no-no because it was said to um, sort of competition. Right. Well, that's, you know, and that's interesting public policy. Um, and I think that we'll begin to see more and more of that. But what you're doing is um, bringing this issue to the grassroots advocates. I mean, people who uh, will go to their city council, get involved in school board meetings. And I think that sometimes as much as we'd love for there to be some top down, you know, uh, policy approach that just solved this problem uh, nationwide, the truth of the matter is I think that the best public policy on these types of issues will come from communities like yours and from efforts like yours that create local models that show that this can be successful. And I really want to congratulate you on that. Thanks for joining us, Andrea. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us as well. If you'd like to find out more about the D.C. Farm to School Network, go to dcfarmtoschool.org. We're going to be here same time, same place with more Go Green Radio next week. So until then, have a terrific week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.